0: Hello there, friends and podcast listeners, uh, Michael Clary here. Before we get the show started today, I want to let you know the audio at the beginning of this episode is a little wonky. I had, um, whenever I was setting up the studio for this recording, I I ended up damaging, uh, breaking one of the microphones that we normally use to record. We have two. And so Wade and I ended up having to record this huddled around a single microphone, which was a little awkward, but we made it work. Um, but I found out that I was, I was sitting on the wrong side of that microphone initially. So, um, I want to clean up the audio, but, uh, hopefully you'll be able, I'm, I'm sure you'll hear it fine, but it just, it, it sounds a little weird and it gets better after we discover that and correct it. Um, so that, that leads me to another thing I want to say, we need to buy a new microphone for the studio and, uh, the ones that we have here are kind of cheap quality. So we thought, you know, it's. Probably good to invest in something uh better because the podcast is doing really well so we'd like to buy two new microphones and uh we have one camera but we would like to buy a second camera to take this podcast video um and i thought you know we'd if, if you guys enjoy the, the enjoy the podcast and you'd like to support it um it does take a little bit of equipment um to to do this so if you'd like to help out with the purchase of two microphones and a camera the price tag will be about 800 bucks or so Um, But if you'd like to help out, um, it'd be great. And we have a link to the show notes where you can give directly to King's Domain, and that goes to our church, and the church pays for the, the equipment. So if you'd like to help out, we'd love to have you do that. Enjoy the show. You are listening to The Current Reality Podcast, where we talk about staying anchored in biblical reality within the current of modern culture. We are your hosts. I am Michael Cleary, and with me is Wade Thomas. We are on staff at Christ the King Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. If you would like to ask a question or give feedback, you can reach us at currentrealitypodcast at gmail.com, and we answer questions at the end of the episode. And if you'd like to do us a favor, we would really appreciate a five-star review on whatever podcasting platform that you use and listen to. I've got one I'll read here. Um, so this one is from Reese. <laughs> is that uh, who I think it is? It is who you think it okay. is. Yes. All so, right. uh, some listeners may know who Reese is, but uh, she's the founder of the Reese's company, the chocolate company, um, or somebody else, but uh, you can think what you want. <laughs> All right, here's what uh, Reese says This podcast is one of my favorites for multiple reasons. I love that it delves into many topics the church is often afraid to talk about, such as human sexuality, demons in the spiritual realm, politics, the church's relationship to government, etc. The podcast hosts offer a conservative mm. Christian perspective of plain spoken truth while never demeaning or belittling those they disagree with. Mm. Because they're all idiots, those we disagree with, morons. Yeah. Did Excuse
1: she say me. anything about like our, our deep baritone voices?
0: Um, well, I'll keep reading. We'll, see. Okay. we'll see, see what she says here. Both men are well-educated and can offer intelligent commentary on issues relating to the culture as well as the church. Mm. They also, <laughs> they also have a chemistry and humor that make the podcast fun to listen to. I love hearing topics that many in Christian circles neglect to talk about, and I always learn something new each episode. Mm. If you want an intellectually stimulating podcast that talks about relevant cultural issues told from a conservative Christian's perspective, this podcast is for you. You raised her well. Oh, I- <laughs> <laughs> You're not supposed to say that. <laughs> Um well uh, what she says here is that uh we find the part about chemistry. Uh they also have a chemistry and humor that make the podcast fun to listen to. So we'll go we'll go ahead and let you in on this little bit of uh this fact, uh listeners. So um the the microphones that we use for this podcast, mm-hmm. um we I was while I was trying to get this set up and I had everything set, I'm like, all right, we're ready to go. It's perfect, but then I wanted to Flip the microphone around so I could see Wade's face better, and I—I I think I damaged the microphone. So now yeah. Wade and I, in our excellent chemistry, are mm. huddled around one microphone. Yeah, we're basically spooning right now. No, shut up! That is. <laughs> <gross.
1: laughs> uh, we are awkwardly <laughs> close to one another. Yeah. Um, Maybe this is the answer for the Israel-Palestine conflict is that they could just get one mic and mm. the heads of state in the room. Mm.
0: That's so good. Come to the table. Right. Come to the table and just share a microphone and smell each other's breath. That's yes. Right. Anyway. Um, all right. One more announcement. The King's Domain Conference. Um, we've. I want to send an email. I've been putting together an email. I need to get this sent out. But King's Domain Conference uh, for 2024 is April 18 through 20. And the topic is gendered virtue. Men and women who take dominion. Um, the speakers, let me see if I can remember them off the top of my head. We have, uh, Michael Foster, our friend, Michael Foster, uh, Joe Rigney is coming. Toby Sumter, uh, G Shane Morris and Matt McBee. Hmm. Matt McBee is a local guy. He's in Dayton. Uh, a good friend of ours, um, wonderful pastor. And, and I'll be speaking there too. So that's, uh, Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift. Uh, well they they might okay. have a musical appearance okay. slash, uh, athletic, uh, spectacle.
1: I'm hoping fingers crossed.
0: Fingers crossed. Where we sent Cameron? the email. Uh, have you seen that meme about, there's a meme that's got a, Travis Kelsey with a bandaid on his arm after he got his vaccine. And then Travis Kelsey with Taylor Swift. And the meme says, either way, his heart's getting broken. Nice. Nice. That's pretty good. <laughs> that's that's really pretty good. good. All right. Today's episode is, um, so we don't have a title, but it's uh, the one about Israel. Mm. we want to talk about Israel. It's in the news. Um, so... I wanna um, kick us off here. I did the prep for this episode. So the bumper sticker version of the issue we wanna talk about. Um, I made a comment in my sermon last Sunday that, um, and the comment that I made was relevant to the topic at hand, which was about the uh, Jesus being the cornerstone and we being built up as living stones and um, being the true people of God, the true Israel of God. And so I made a comment um, it was just a quick little aside, but it was like Israel is not the people of God, and uh, the the thing I said in particular is the conflict in Israel has no particular spiritual meaning for us. Um, in retrospect, I've, that may have been confusing, um, and I've you know had a several conversations with church members since then, um, just wanting to know more and ask questions about it, um, so that while we can talk about it here, I said that because it's been in the news, mm-hmm. and I hear you know Christians talking about. Some are like unconditional support for Israel because they are the chosen people of God. And then you have a you have a different camp that is like, well, no, they're not the chosen people of God. Therefore, they uh, they're nothing to us. Um, and we have no no interest in they don't support them at all. Um,
1: and that big contingent that would say that you and I, I think, grew up. I grew up at least dispensational. I think you did, too. Right. Or, or you were grew up in i agree
0: dispensational is i I think it was i think i was in that environment it's
1: just kind of the assumed norm of america is sort of my point we it 200 years ago this probably wouldn't but because for the last 150 years or so dispensationalism is kind of the assumed norm in america it seems like you have to deal with this
0: yeah i think i've been in a bit of a bubble because it's it when you say that I, i know that's true but I don't know anybody that's dispensational. I don't live yeah, around yeah. with dispies, but.
1: I just, I grew up Pentecostal. I went to an IFB Bible, an Independent Fundamentalist Baptist. Indy Fu- Fundy. Indy Fundy Baptist Bible College. So for me, it's a little uh, more in the bloodstream. Yeah. So.
0: Well, I, I think there's some things that, that you'll, you'll grow up in this environment and you have a, a view about the end times or about Israel or whatever. And then even though you may reject the view itself, the assumptions of the view are still operative. Right. And I think that can, that's what I I think is maybe coming out because people may not say, I am dispensational, therefore I support Israel wholeheartedly. Mm -hmm. I just think they read the left behind books. Right. And since then, like, well. uh,
1: And they're unfamiliar with the fact that much of, Christian history did not interpret the book of Revelation the way the guys who wrote Left Behind It. Like, I remember growing up completely unaware of that. Yeah. I thought the only, I literally, I remember thinking as like a 10-year-old, the only differences in eschatology were pre-trib, mid-trib, and post-trib. Yeah. I did not know there was anything like amillennialism oh, or post-millennialism. Yeah. So. Well,
0: if you're not familiar with the Left Behind books, uh, Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins, yeah. I think, wrote them together. These guys are big dispensational guys. And we'll we'll talk a little bit about what dispensational means here in a bit. But these guys are dispensational books, and they wrote um, the series of books called Left Behind. And, like, crazy massive. Oh, yeah. uh, Huge
1: hit. Um, I knew non-Christians who devoured them. Totally. A non-Christian gave me a complete set a few years ago. He's like, hey, I'm done reading these if you want them. Yeah.
0: Yeah, like, my mom still, my mom loved them. She read them um, when they first came out. And they were, she's like the hardback version of the books. And I heard that they originally were going to make seven, and they were selling so well. I'm like, hey, let's, there's another Let's we'll stretch this network. out a little bit. <laughs> Twelve. That sounds like a question <laughs> number. Let's just publish 12 books yeah. instead. And I've read a few of them. And one of the books, it's like there was very little movement in the story. Mm-hmm. It just like took place over like a, the course of a day. And the guy's like in a car and trying to get somewhere. And I'm just like, I'm done with this. Yeah. With anyway, the left behind books. So like, here's a... Are you familiar with the? Like, you know the story, right? Like, yeah, yeah. You, you want to give like a like yeah. A, like, so, like, what's the rapture and like, that
1: view? Yeah, so I mean, they they take a dispensation. It's a fictionalized version of a dispensational return of Christ. In that, the Christians are raptured up; they disappear. This is a dispensational take on uh, what the Book of Revelation is trying to communicate. Christians will disappear in what what I would call a secret return of Christ. Um, yeah, yeah. They wouldn't call it that because they wouldn't want to say that there's two returns of Christ. But Christ, in some sense, appears to take those unbelievers out of the world. They vanish out of shopping markets, uh, airplanes, airplanes. Yeah, the one guy is the pilot, <laughs> is right? The pilot. And I think the one pilot disappears, but but he is Kurt Cameron's yeah. character is left.
0: Buck Williams,
1: right? So everybody just. Uh, Christians disappear and all that's left is non-Christians, and then once those Christians are out of the way, then what takes center stage for the rest of the books and in the real dispensational scheme is the conflict between Israel and the forces of evil yeah. and so that that removal of the church and of christians kind of allows israel to take to become the protagonist in the story yeah. uh, and that that's just that is a dispensational view that is not a historic view that you're going to be hard pressed to find a major theolo- christian theologian protestant theologian who would have thought that in 1700 or 1600 or 1200 a.d yeah. John. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a, I think he had connections to the Brethren movement, which was in England. So this was a 1800s English phenomenon that then just kind of went all over the world, largely through the influence of the Schofield Bible. Yeah.
0: Schofield reference Bible. Right.
1: Yeah. And so, so, so by, to the point where, and I think this is, I grew up in a Pentecostal church and I think Pentecostalism, Pentecostalism in the United States was a big part of why this, th- because so many people uh, were influenced through Pentecostal churches and charismatic churches, where dispensationalism was the assumed norm. Then you had tens of millions of dispensation, even if they didn't know
0: they were dispensational. They just thought left behind yeah. is how it works. Yeah. So if you're, so some of the some of the the key features of dispensational theology, and we're not going to unpack all of that here today, but just some of the things that to let you know what we're talking about. Dispensational theology believes that the events recorded in the Book of Revelation, in particular. And in the Olivet discourse, Matthew mm-hmm. twenty-four, and
1: the man of lawlessness, and Thessalonians, Thessalonians. Yeah. yeah, it's
0: like all of these are in the future, right? Um, the future, or even from now, right? So Jesus was talking about stuff that's to happen way in the future, and so there is this looking out for the the end times to happen. So we're, right now we're in something other than the end times, mm-hmm. but whenever the end times happens, it'll be kind of triggered by the rapture when all these people disappear, and then the world is in chaos. Then you have these years of tribulation. All these various things happen. But it is it is viewing these things as future tense. Whereas um my view, Wade's view, we've 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 had discussion about this, um, is a partial preterist. Right. Um, and that don't worry about what the word means, but partial preterist basically means that um the those texts that we just referenced that Jesus was referring to what was future for them at that time of the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70. Yeah. And so ever since then, like now we are in the end times right now and we've been in the end times, the last days, as it were ever since, you know, uh, the, the early church era. Right. And the, um, Oh, I lost my train of thought. Being in the end times now, there's, we're not looking for some triggering world historical events that will cause.
1: Correct. Uh, and most of us would believe we're not looking for, I, I do, and I and I, I think you and I are on the same page here, but almost all partial preterists would believe the same thing. Most of the events in Revelation, you and I aren't looking out for those, two, those things to happen. Now, towards the end of the book, when he talks about the great wine throne judgment and resurrection, yes, those things are absolutely cataclysmic for the whole world and are in our future but a good chunk of what he's communicating to those seven churches in the early parts of the book are referring to things that happened leading up to and in AD 70. And I just think that even though that may shock a lot of you listeners who are like, what? There's people who believe these these two men who I trusted for dozens of podcast episodes believe that a good chunk of Revelation happened in the past. Well, read the book of Revelation slowly and naturally, and I think you'll 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 understand why it is plausible to say, okay, John on Patmos in writing primarily to Michael Clary and Wade Thomas about the European Union. (laughs) You know, when he says, hey, you should understand this number six, six, six. He doesn't mean Michael Clary should understand that Jeff Bezos at Amazon is going to put a microchip in Michael's hand. He's talking (laughs) to Ephesus and Perga and Mm -hmm. Pergamum and Smyrna. He's saying you all should understand this number let the wise one understand this number uh and i think it refers to nero and he's talking to them about nero
0: yeah so like the we're getting sorry we're, sorry we're, i didn't need the to... stuff i didn't expect but 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 the, the the dating of the book of revelation is really key in this discussion because if if the book of revelation was written after ad 70 then you would absolutely have expected john to have referenced that event in yeah. the writing of the book of revelation but since he did, I mean, the book, the, the fall of Jerusalem in AD seventy was that was nine eleven, uh, more than that, Pearl Harbor, nine eleven multiplied m- right. many times over. It was massive, and so to 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 have this thing that just happened of, of not only geopolitical significance but a historical significance, uh, or, or but also theological significance, to not mention it right. when you're talking about um, all things spiritual related to Israel and the people of God and stuff like that, it's unthinkable. So, um, I, you know, we think that John wrote that sometime prior to the right. fall of Jerusalem in AD 70 about largely the events that took place then yeah. as a way to prepare the church at that time. But there are aspects of the book of Revelation that do forecast into the Clearly, end. yeah. T-
1: Revelation chapter 20, 21 are clearly talking about the end of the world when yeah. Christ will return and judge all the, all the yeah. living and the dead.
0: That's why we say we're partial preterists, right. meaning like the book of Revelation is in – mostly yeah. about events that have already happened, but there are yet some that have yet to happen.
1: Full preterism would be heresy. Right. Yeah, full yeah. preterism, all of it, yeah.
0: So anyway, here's the uh, bottom line up front, the the point that we'll get into in this episode. Modern Israel is not the chosen people of God, uh, the way that we, the way the church is, the way we think of the church. So modern Israel is not the chosen people of God. And any support that we as Americans, if you're listening to America, our support for Israel as Americans is because they're an ally to the United States. But there need not be some theological reason to support Israel as the people of God, um, you know, beyond. And we'll get it. There's a little bit of nuance that we can tease out on this. Sure. But basically, we don't want to say Israel is the people of God. Therefore, un, unrestrained, uh, uninhibited support for Israel and all of their, as you know, all of their geopolitical activities.
1: And when you use Israel in that sentence, you're talking about the nation state, like the parliament and Benjamin Netanyahu. And you're not talking necessarily about Jewish people. In that sentence, you meant Israel, like you might mean Germany or Italy
0: or. Yeah, so Israel was founded in 1948. And in 1948, it became a national entity that now has, and people saw that as like, oh man, Israel's back. And then people reading the book of Revelation thinking these things are future tense, like, well, the abomination of desolation is going to right. go into the temple and sacrifice a pig. Well, there is no temple now, so they need to, Israel's been reestablished. Now they're going to rebuild some third temple. Yeah. And they're going to, so they're looking to these things as being in the future. So this, some might even argue that Israel, like the the actors and play supporting in America, Israel being granted this nation status um, was driven by this this uh, dispensational vision at right. times. So I mean,
1: it is complicated. I've not really thought about it this way, but it is sort of complicated by the fact that they named the place Israel. Mm-hmm. Like if if there had been in the late so they could have named it Jutopia. Right. I'm saying like so yeah that's <laughs> so like in the late 1800s Zionism kind of sprang up and, and everybody was you know they were looking to build a Jewish homeland. Had they called it. Something like uh, you know, Zion or something, mm-hmm. there might have been a little, but I, I do think for people who aren't super into this sort of thing, they're not reading theological tomes, you know, they're not doing church history, they're just kind of reading their Bibles and then watching the evening news, there's this place on over there called Israel. and I look in my Bible and I see mm-hmm. the word Israel. It's hard for for the average Christian to sort of be like, they're called the same thing, but that doesn't mean Benjamin Netanyahu equals Josiah right. in the Old Testament.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, here's a, I want to read to you. Here's a Washington Post article, and this is a few years old. This was in 2018. Uh, the headline of this article says Half of evangelicals support Israel because they believe it is important for fulfilling end times prophecy. Um, so that's that's the headline. I can mm-hmm. I can read you a, a few snippets here. Uh, they they open it up with a quote from a guy, Pastor Robert Jeffress. I guess he's a big deal. I don't know who
1: that is. Oh yeah, First Baptist Dallas. He was a big Trump guy. A big Trump guy. Yeah. Okay.
0: Was was that the church where they like let's
1: go Brandon? Was that? Um, I don't know. But I mean, Robert Jeffress said some great. Uh, he was he was good in, on COVID stuff. But yeah, he's he's a little.
0: He's a little. Uh, he, he
1: pushes the envelope on okay. the uh, on the, <laughs> the president on the president Trump bandwagon.
0: Okay, well he. It said that um, this is what he said. Jerusalem has been the object of the affection of both Jews and Christians down through history, and the touchstone of prophecy. But most importantly, God gave Jerusalem and the rest of the Holy Land to the Jewish people. Um, and then there's a quote from a North Texas professor that says. The tenet of Christian Zionism is that God's promise of the Holy Land to the Jews is eternal. It's not just something in antiquity. When we talk about the Holy Land, God's promise of the Holy Land, we're talking about real estate on both sides of the Jordan River. So the sense of a greater Israel and expansionism is really important to this community. Jerusalem is central to that. It's viewed as historical and biblical capital. And so that line about Jerusalem that Jeffra said about Jerusalem being the touchstone of prophecy, that's the idea that, um, it's like a biblical prophecy that the return of Christ will happen, um, at the rapture. So mm-hmm. the end times, and then uh, here's a couple of polls that they cite in this article, life poll, 80% of evangelicals believe that the creation of Israel in 1948 was a fulfillment of biblical prophecy that would bring about Christ's return. Um, another poll this is from pew research in 2003 they asked respondents about whether the existence of israel fulfilled biblical prophecy um, about a third of americans said it did while more than six in ten evangelicals agreed and so did more than half of the black respondents um, and i and i think again
1: uh especially when you look at over half of the black respondents i think the pentecostal influence there to essentially to be pentecostal is to be dispensational and that there's a lot. I mean, this, that's the church I grew up in. I grew up in a big Pentecostal church here in Cincinnati. It was probably about half black, half white, um, and that was that, that. was just everybody read *Late Great Planet Earth* by Hal Lindsey, and everybody read the *Left Behind* books. And there was nobody there who they would have assumed they would have looked at amillennialism if if they'd even ever heard of the thing. If you described it to them or postmillennialism, they would have looked at those as like you don't you don't believe in the resurrection.
0: Yeah. And, and as we talked about earlier, a lot of people may not have a a particular articulated theology of dispensationalism, and they may even reject what we just said. But still, but what what happens is whenever they read through the Bible, there's a lot of stuff they run into, and they're like I don't know what to make of that, and they keep going. Um, and so like what what the alternative? Like I would just I, this may not be the right nomenclature, but I would just say the alternative of what I would call covenant theology. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that's what I hold to, and it basically, you know, in this regard, it teaches one redemptive plan of God, one people of God mm-hmm. for all time. So I would argue um, that there's always been – there's you always have Israel, um, and Israel is Israel of – in the Old Testament, they were saved on the basis of – they were saved by Jesus and the blood of Jesus was retroact- retroactively applied to them, mm-hmm. and the, the, the types and shadows of the, the things in the Old Testament Israelite religion anticipated the blood of Christ, um, so their faith in God and what he revealed about that – at that time, they were saved based on their belief in God and, and his promises – but the promises ultimately were fulfilled in Christ. So they always trusted in God, they, always God's promises, and God's promises that were always intended to be Jesus Christ. And then now that Christ has come, and this is, these are the scriptures we'll read in the scripture I preached on this past Sunday. If you reject Christ, then you've rejected the cornerstone. So now that Christ has come, Christ has been revealed, the, the, the shadow, the types have been have been fulfilled, and the substance has come, but if you reject the substance, then you're, you're damned, you're, you're not saved. So there is no way for somebody now, in light of the, the appearance of Christ, to be saved and to be in heaven and to not believe in the name of Jesus Christ. Acts 4.21, uh, I think it says, there's no other name given, mm-hmm. given under heaven, uh, given among men by which we must be saved. So that's my view, covenant theology yeah. view. Do you have any? Comments no, no, no. There? Yeah, one hundred percent. The blood of bulls and goats cannot
1: take away sin, and it could not take away sin in fourteen hundred BC when Moses was helping erect the tabernacle. It's it's not as though, so. And I think a a, a solid dispensationalist would agree with us there. Hey, yes, Wade. I think I'm sure John MacArthur one hundred percent would say yes, Wade and Michael. Abraham was not. He was saved by trust in Yahweh, not through the sacrificial system but then he would go on to say some version of but the but the nation of Israel was a separate and distinct a, a materially distinct thing from the ecclesia the called out people of God the church whereas we would say the and covenant theology would say no they are not you, I have no problem saying there are it was a different sort of manifestation of the people of God. It was a nation state. The church is in a nation state. It baptized babies, <laughs> you know, it circumcised babies. Mm. We don't, because we're yeah. Baptists. There there were there were distinctions, but it was the same called out people of God. Yeah. That's what covenant theology would hold. We I, I am in the family of Abraham. Mm-hmm. In the same way, yeah, uh,
0: we are we are elect in the
1: same way as those who were circumcised in heart in the
0: old covenant in the old yeah. testament. So, and there's several scriptures that we've got marked out here that we can we can go through to demonstrate this. Um, so, there there are a couple points that I would make just to try to try to sum sum this up. Number one, uh, modern Israel is not God's chosen people, and I'm referring to the nation state of Israel uh, established in 1948. Yeah, and it's. We know it's because they rejected their Messiah. They re- the 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 stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. So they rejected their Messiah, and so God they are they are they are not God's chosen people. They're not true Israel because they're not the Israel of faith. Um, and so one important thing is like we should see Israel as a mission field. Yeah. Um, not as our um, n- not as brothers in the sense of. We're both fighting Satan together. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's some, um, yeah, it's not as though they are, they are they're not spiritual kin. Right. Um, there may be some co belligerence Oh,
1: yeah. They're absolutely co-belligerents against, you know, Islam, yeah. against much of at least solid Orthodox
0: Jews against secularism. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they are co-belligerents in many fights. Yeah. But they're not co-belligerents the way, so, I mean, they're like Mormons. Like yeah. they're, in the sense that there's a, there's a lot that they hold to that we also hold to, but they don't hold to it's, they're not Christians. Mormons are not Christians, um, in the same way um, the Jewish people, unless they are they have explicit faith in Jesus, the Jewish people are not Christians, they will they are damned and unless yeah. they repent. Uh, second point, God's chosen people are the church, so the Israel of God. Um, so, when you think of who are God's chosen people, um the old testament you may you may have an issue with this wording, but see what you think Old Testament church would be the nation of israel who who are faithful, faithful Israel yeah, no, I mean I think I think that's true, yeah, and then the New Testament church is faithful Christians who believe in Jesus, who is Jesus is true Israel, he is the true Son of God, just as The people of God in the Old Testament were meant to be God's representative on earth. They failed. Jesus came, succeeded. Jesus is true Israel. He fulfilled what Israel was meant to be. So he's the true people of God. He's the true uh, son of God. He is the true temple. Um, It's all about Jesus. Jesus fulfilled everything that Israel was meant to be. And now in the New Testament era, we proclaim the gospel because Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament, the old, mm-hmm. you know, what, what, all that the Old Testament was pointing to was fulfilled in Jesus. Yeah,
1: I think Paul, um, it, it's, it's allowed. Paul shows us to make a distinction between Gentiles and Jews, even in the New Testament. He does that. So, you know, in in Romans and in Ephesians, he's exhorting Jews and Gentiles to get along together inside the church. So, I think it's okay to say like. There is a New Testament church, and yet Jews are still sort of this distinct entity that does have some spiritual, uh, I mean, Michael and I were talking about this before we started recording. Basically, he and I both agree to be a, if you are a descendant of Abraham, there is an affection or attention of God or for all descendants of Abraham. Um, and so that, that it's, it's okay to acknowledge that. It's mm-hmm. okay for me to acknowledge the fact that God... We'll, get, we'll read some scripture and Romans 11 says that there is an affection that God has for Jewish people, but they're lost apart from faith in Christ. Every single human being will go to hell unless they repent of their sins and believe in Jesus. And once a Jew enters the church and becomes a part of the Bride of Christ, his primary identity at that point is in Christ. Yes. That's the argument, one of the arguments in Ephesians. Your primary identity now is that you are in Christ, and the mm-hmm. dividing wall of hostility has been torn down because of right. that. So it's great that you're a Jew, and it actually does matter in some sense, but that's not your primary identity any longer.
0: Yeah, so um, so that's, that's, a, that's an interesting nuance, and we can— we can go ahead and tease it out here. This is a good place to do it. Um, so, what Wade is articulating is that when we say the Jewish people are not the chosen people of God, um, what we that doesn't that doesn't obliterate um, God's recognition of them as a people. Yeah. So, let's say um, I have a lot of friends in Argentina. So, I could say God is aware of the people of Argentina. And I I think it's totally fair to say God may very well have a unique plan of the conversion of the Argentines. Um, so there may be some some plan of God. What would you would you?
1: Uh, would you... No, I, no. I, I think God could have unique plans. So he, Jesus says things like uh, he indicates that cities will face judgment in, yeah. in the Gospels. So there is a there is a reality to corporate there being a real thing about nations and cities and groups of people, like clearly in the Bible, they matter. Yeah, what I would Revolution say is, five. yes, exactly. What I would say is that there's an additional one for the Jews
0: that there is not, I think for yes. uh, you know, that's Germans where I was headed or Poles or, yeah, that's where I was headed. So like there, the, so God recognizes Argentines, Argent, I, some people call them Argentinians. And I don't think that's grammatically and linguistically mm. correct. I think they're Argentines, not Argentinians. We just got taken to school, listeners. You and well, me. Well, I had a, I had an Argentine tell me why. It's like, we don't call you Americanians. Nice. Don't call us Argentinians. Nice. That's good. <laughs> so anyway, Argentines. So we could say God recognizes them. He recognizes people groups. Uh, we see this in Revelation 5. Um, so that is true what we see in scripture is there does seem to be some promise in Romans 11 mm-hmm. in particular and we can read that in a bit yep. um, some promise to where god says hey as even though they have rejected their messiah because of their of of the promises that he made to abraham mm-hmm. and to his his uh, patrimony that god will save them but not on the basis of their Judaism, right? Or their, right. But on the basis of Christ, so they—he calls it being grafted back in. So that – I think, I mean, I would, I would say to put it in, you know, cookies on the bottom shelf here, that one thing we should expect in the days to come somehow is a mass conversion, significant number of Jewish people being converted. An additional thing I would say that it's a, it's a, it's a, I don't know quite what to do with this, as I don't know. I don't know that the modern nation state of Israel that's over in, in that Middle Eastern mm-hmm. area established, I don't think that's one-to-one coextensive with the people group I'm talking about. Um, so, we have yeah. we have members of our church that are, uh, at least at least one woman in particular, that is a Messianic Jew. Mm-hmm. Um, so, she's ethnically descended from the Jewish people, but she believes in Jesus, her Messiah. Do you have anything to... Yeah. So, I guess
1: what I would say there is 100%, I think you do need to distinguish between I think the the Jewish parliament is the, is called the Knesset, and the capital is in Tel Aviv. I'm, these institutions and this like spot on a this this uh, nation state is not equal to Jewish people as descendants of Abraham, and so that's a good distinction to make, and it's one that matters. Um, the but one thing I do want to say is I agree with you. The Bible does I think fairly clearly teach that God wants and will get a revival. Like like a, a uh, mass conversion of the Jews, which then therefore tells me, he will actually preserve them as a people group. Yeah. So like for for instance, I mean there are people groups that have just disappeared. Yeah, they, they, they have not been preserved, and so yeah. I do think that a necessary consequence of what we just said is. God is actually preserving Jewish people and I and I I don't know exactly how and I don't know that the nation state of Israel formed
0: in 1948 is a part of that. Um, I, mean, I have no reason to doubt that. I'm not saying it isn't. Yeah. I, I'm just saying like the fact that it exists, that nation state does not need to exist because correct. until it existed, God could have fulfilled that promise toward the Jews correct. living in Germany. Or and in and he did. So the Ashkenazi Jews, those, those are the Jews who were in like Central
1: Europe and, and Yiddish is the language. So all the Jews who ended up or, you know, primarily all the Jews who ended up in like Brooklyn and, and in the United States, I think are primarily descendants of the Ashkenazi Jews. I I think, and I think um, this is a good biblical place to land, those people existed and got married to each other and kept the the people group intact as a special, some sort of act of grace of God so that, or at least one of the reasons to one end, that he will have them at the end to bring back yeah. in, in through Christ. If the Jews were to disappear, if they were to stop yeah. marrying each other and having kids or just get completely wiped out if Hitler had been successful, mm-hmm. then Romans 11 wouldn't, it couldn't happen.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So there would have to be not only a bloodline preserved, but also for there to be some consciousness. Right. Right. Of that, they—they they, you know what I mean. It's yeah, like, they it's build like we,
1: synagogues, they build schools. I, I worked in in Blue Ash. It's a neighborhood neighborhood here in Cincinnati, and it is one of the most Jewish neighborhoods in Cincinnati. Um, there's a community center. There's a in, in the Kroger right by my office, my old office was a uh, there was a Jewish deli where they prepared the food uh, kosher. There was a Jewish like uh, cooler with only kosher pops and and drinks in it and stuff. The fact that that exists, it's not like I think God, you know, (laughs) made that Kroger, but I I do think the fact that that exists, that those cultural institutions exist, is an act of grace Mm -hmm. that he is somehow ordaining so that Romans 11 will then happen.
0: Yeah, I have no problem with that. And and it is remarkable that you have a group of people that have existed and maintained a unique, distinct identity and culture. Without having a homeland all the way from A.D. 70 up until 1948. Yeah. It's weird. It doesn't it, happen it, now. It's like 1,900 years, 1,800 yeah. some, some odd years. I mean, we have the Egyptians, but they have a plot of land that's still called right. Egypt. But you know, it, it, the Hittites, they don't exist exactly. anymore. Their blood has been dispersed and, and kind of diluted, and they, they are no more. But the Jewish people, I mean, it's like – and they have names like Levine mm-hmm. and um, oh, like indicating some – Connection to the tribe of Levi. Yeah. So it, it is a. So I, I think I have no problem with any of these things. I think that the thing where, that gives me pause is whenever people say, because all the things that we're right. saying is true, therefore God requires of us to support Israel because God has a unique plan of salvation for that. People and therefore that nation. Yeah, that's 100%. So, like, let's say, let's take the Hamas thing off the
1: table. And just if if uh, instead um, Israel had decided that it was going to, you know, do some military action in Yemen or, or Jordan or Lebanon for some reason, the Bible does not require us. And Christian theology does not require us to say, okay, we need to send financial support and Marines and— mm-hmm. <laughs> To, to that military action because the nation state of Israel has no that's not how it works mm-hmm. we we love the Jewish people but this this nation state uh, does not merit some specific you know support just because
0: yeah it has
1: the same name and is largely populated by descendants yeah. of Abraham
0: yeah there's um when we look at some of the, some scriptures here there's there, there are a few I have. Um, maybe we can skip down just to the ones in Romans. Yeah, you want to, you want to grab that one and. Um, how about I'll, I'll read the one in Romans two. Okay. And if you can. Uh, yeah. You know, take a look at ones yeah. in Romans nine.
1: Yeah, Romans nine, uh, verses one through three. Paul says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to
0: the flesh. Yeah. So Paul is like, they are kinsmen according to the flesh. So he's not calling them spiritual. Uh, these are my brothers. Brothers in God, or something mm-hmm. like that. He's like they're kinsmen according to the flesh, and yet, as a people group, that's his family. It's his kin. It's like right. this my 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 mom and dad, my my aunt and uncle, and whatnot. He's like, man, I would I would go to hell. It's a it's a it's a powerful thing that he says here. I, I, I could wish that I would cut off from Christ and go to hell for the sake of saving them. Yeah. Um, so he has a is a deep affection for their conversion to Christ. To become Christians, yeah. I'll let me read one back. In this is back in Romans chapter two. So the the early chapters of Romans, what Paul is doing is um, Romans one through three. He is establishing, essentially, everybody is damned apart from Christ. There's nobody. So the Jewish people are unsay. The Jewish people are, are. Um, God's wrath is on the Gentiles. That's Romans chapter one. God's wrath is on. Um, the Jewish people, who are they're condemned by the law, um, Romans chapter three, um, all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. So there, it is like establishing the fundamental um, condition of man in order to introduce salvation that came initially um, through Abraham being justified by faith and on and on into Christ. So here in chapter two, Paul is he's talking about the Jewish people, um, verse twenty seven. He's talking about who who do you define as a Jew? Who do you, is, So what we've been saying is that it's not the people that live over in the Middle East necessarily. It, um, he's saying, like, he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. And then here's the, here's the kicker. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. This is where this, this, uh, this topic can get kind of difficult because there are two ways of talking about Israel. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul says that there's uh, unbelieving Israel and there's believing Israel. So unbelieving Israel, um, that's the Pharisees. They were physically descended from Abraham and they go to Jesus, and they're arguing with Jesus, and they say, hey, we've got Abraham as our father, and Jesus said, big deal, I can make stones to be children of Abraham. He's basically saying, you are not true Israel. So there's a spiritual way of talking about Israel, and whenever you talk about spiritual Israel or spiritual Judaism, then we would say, the only true Israel is Christians, because we are the ones who are, uh, circumcision is a matter of the heart, not by the spirit, not by the letter. So verse 28, no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. So he's talking about a spiritual reality. Spiritual reality is where we started off. The, the, the Israel is not the chosen people of God. Now whenever we – you can also talk about Israel or Judaism, this is this really is kind of confusing. You can talk about them more as a physical feature, and that's the text that Wade read about the kinsmen according to the flesh. Mm-hmm. So we say, okay, when we're talking about Israel in that sense, then, then it, is, it is fine and acceptable, I think, to acknowledge they are recognized as a people of God. Um, they are physically descended from Abraham, and that, that, that's not nothing to God, mm-hmm. and uh, God has a plan to bring them to Christ. You, you to, yeah,
1: does yeah, that, yeah, Does that make sense? It to does, opinion. it okay. does. And I think, so, I mean, I think that's the sense that Jesus uses it in Matthew, where he says, hey, at the, in the middle of his ministry, uh, go not into the towns of the Gentiles, but only to the lost sheep of Israel. Um, I, I think Jesus, our Lord, uses the language of physical Israel mattered to him uh, in, in that sense. Physical Israel is significant to God. You are not saved by being a part of physical Israel. and the true Israel, the truest Israel, are those who are circumcised, not according to the flesh, but in heart. So Jesus and Paul both used the physical Israel vocabulary mm-hmm. and they used it in a way that wasn't like, here's physical Israel. and over there's some poles and over there's some Spaniards and over there' some like physical Israel was an ethnicity, but it actually had a significance to God. Mm-hmm. But that significance does not equal salvation. Uh, or or spiritual uh as though we owe a spiritual uh debt that can only be paid with our marines going over to tel aviv yeah um this is let me if if i if i can read romans 11 yeah, i think yeah, go it, for it. so romans 11 25 through 29 paul Again, brings up um, his his how Israel is significant to him, physical Israel. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of the mystery, brothers. So he's writing here to the Christians in Rome. A partial hardening has come upon Israel. So he's talking about the physical Israel there, not the true Israel of which Michael and I are a part, and right. you, Christian listener, are a part, but physical Israel has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it's written, and he quotes the Old Testament, the deliverer will come from Zion, he will banish ungodliness from Jacob, and in this way my covenant with them, physical Israel, when I take away their sins. So he doesn't have a covenant with physical Germany the way he has a covenant with physical Israel. Um, he has a covenant with America, though. You know? (laughs) No, he doesn't. I'm kidding. kidding. But we do love America. We love our country. Uh, As regards the gospel, just two more verses. They are enemies for your sake, but as regards election, they, Israel, are beloved for the sake of their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Mm -hmm. who he had the covenant with. For the gifts and the calling of God are
0: irrevocable. So, I love that word. Yeah, irrevocable. Irrevocable. Yeah. No, I, I was just saying, like, I like the sound of it. I, no, well, I, I want to say irrevocable, yeah. but you said irrevocable. Yeah, I, it's better. It sounds more. It sounds much more pretentious. It's, pretenti- got, it's yeah, more pretentious than It that is. Way. It is. It's
1: a smoking jacket word. Um, <laughs> With an elbow patch. Yes. <laughs> so, a, a, not to put too fine a point on it, but basically, if you are a Christian, you are a part of true Israel, the Israel of God. Amen. Whether you are <clears throat> ethnically Jewish, ethnically Irish ethnically Russian, ethnically Aboriginal Australian. It doesn't matter. You are part of the true Israel of God if you have been born again to faith in Jesus. Then physical Israel, of which some are Christians, but the vast majority are not, God has an affection for or an attention to, I would say both, an affection for and an attention to that will ultimately Result in his bringing many of them into the true Israel. Mm-hmm. So many Pharisees died, physical Israel, but absolutely not a part of true Israel. You know? Uh, can you say that part again? So Gamaliel. Uh, ah, yeah, th- these yeah. Pharisees would have died Maybe going Nico- to hell. Nicodemus, perhaps. Yeah, Nicodemus got saved. It looks like Nicodemus yeah. towards the end. It looks like you know fully came around. So, but there are many physical Israelites in hell, mm-hmm. and yet. The, the gifts and the calling are irrevocable, and he does have an affection for physical Israel such that many, I believe Romans 11 is saying, will be grafted into true Israel. Mm-hmm. Now, neither of those words that I just used, phys- or phrases, physical Israel or true Israel, have an exact one-to-one correspond- correspondence to the nation next to Gaza right now. Right. There is some <clears throat> overlap, maybe, but they're not the same thing. Yeah,
0: so I think Christians— it is. It is. Like personally, I am. I am pro Israel. I support Israel. The nation state. Uh, the nation state. Yes, me, too. The, the, me too. Me too. Yeah, me too. So the nation state over over in the in the uh, Middle East, I support them, and I support them as a geopolitical ally to the United States. Right. Just like if, um, if, let's say a bunch of um, marauders landed on the you know in England somewhere, right. and started killing people in we London, we would want to have their I'd back. Be like hey. We're I'm pro England yeah, because exactly. there's some we have some uh some common interests. So I in that sense, I'm pro-Israel. The the thing that I the thing that I really want to guard against that uh we shouldn't do is to make it a theological imperative that we must support the nation state of Israel because God has a unique plan of salvation for them as such. And that might sound like, well, that's that's really specific. And I'm like, well, you see this all the time. Yeah, you've got. You, um, uh, here's an example. My um, my daughter's away at school, and uh, she's been. She, it's a fresh, freshman year. She's visited a few different churches, and you know, um, she told my wife the other day that she visited a church, and it's like a big Baptist church, kind of a megachurchy place. And she went to this church, and the sermon was all about, hey, hey, America, we need to support Israel because they're the they're God's chosen people. Right. And, and he's not talking about witnessing to Jews. Right. in... He's not doing an
1: outreach. Exactly. In, you know the Jews. He's talking history. about Benjamin Netanyahu's nation state of
0: Israel. And they're saved. God will rest. Like God will. They'll be in heaven with us because God has a uh, a, a separate alternate route plan of salvation. Actually, we're the alternate route. But yeah. God has a plan of salvation, and they're the true. So it's 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 a yeah. it's weird messaging that's confusing, and. Whenever you don't have some conflict with Hamas, it can lie dormant; and doesn't really show up mm-hmm. or hit our radar. But more recently, it has hit our radar, and I've seen a lot of chatter from Christians about this stuff. And I'm like, that's it's bad theology. That if you kind of run with it, then you 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 run into some really crazy stuff. Yes, and I, I think it's just it doesn't match
1: reality. So Israel, the nation state, I am pro them just like you in the sense that they are they're a Western nation. Uh, they are fighting an Islamic uh, violence that the rest of the West is going to have to deal with at some point. Like Mm -hmm. I want, I want to have their back the way I want to have England's back or the way I would want to have, you know, uh, Hungary's back or something. But uh, I think you, you can, you can forget if you do this theological game, you can forget the fact that a lot of Israel is fairly liberal, fairly secular, uh, they're, it's, they're hostile to Christians. Exactly. So it's not as though I, I think if I'm just a you know like my my uh, my relatives who are just dispensational by default or or you know some some pastor who doesn't do a ton of theological study in in the hills of Appalachia or something you could forget that you're kind of supporting a pretty pro-abortion secular like this is not mm-hmm. Benjamin Netanyahu is not Abraham right You know what I mean. <laughs> And I just keep using his name because he's the only he's the only politician I know in Israel. He he. But there's Yitzhak Rabin. I think it was another guy. There's uh, uh, I can't remember any of the liberal guys who would have you know. Bibi Netanyahu seems like a good guy, but there were yeah, like, But else? there but there are all kinds of liberal yeah. Israel people in Israel, Jews who are in Israel, very very liberal Jews who are in Israel, and it's
0: not like we can just sign off. Yeah, we're yeah, I, we're with you I mean, it, on everything. I mean, in that sense, it's kind of like American Democrats. Yes. <laughs> it's like, okay, there's a lot of God-hating secularism in the Democratic Party. And so in that sense, I'm violently opposed—violence not the right word. Right. I am vehemently opposed yeah. to them. However, if Hamas was killing them and beheading them, you, correct. then I would be, correct. hey, I'm, I've got your back. Correct. And
1: and and to just—I mean, we didn't plan on them, but I'll, I'll just insert this just because I know I think we're— I know we're on the same page here. Islam is a threat we're going to have to deal with. Islam is a violent religion. Um, and what is happening in Israel is probably a precursor to what I think we'll see happen in Western Europe. You cannot – this is a violent religion with a violent book that worships yeah. a false god and a false prophet.
0: And it's a violent false – Yeah, and it's, it's wicked. It's evil. Yes. Muhammad is a false prophet. Islam is a false religion. Um Yeah, it's
1: true. And so in that sense, I want to have Israel's back as they're getting, you know, engulfed by this incredibly violent false religion. Uh, But that's not that's not uh, a directly New Testament, you know, Romans 11 argument. That's a there's good and there's evil. (laughs) And then there's co-belligerence against evil.
0: Yeah, it's like, but. There, there, there's, there's lots of examples of right conclusion, wrong verse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that 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 happens a lot with this sort of thing. It's like being supportive of Israel. I'm like, yeah, that's the right conclusion, um, but you're the the means that you're using to get it to get there is is wonky, and ultimately can can lead you to into some more serious error down the road. Yeah.
1: Uh, and can I throw one thing about dispensationalism real quick? I I have known dispensationalists who, because of believing that 1948 was the beginning of the end times, like literally had less kids. Wow. Like, they, like their, their view of living on planet earth was significantly altered because they thought yeah. Jesus was going to come back in 1989 or 1994. Yeah. And I'm like, that's where this stuff really does have a cost that I want to advocate against. Yeah. Um, if you want to be dispensational, if you genuinely think the Bible pushes you that way, or it leads you down that path, then at a certain point, I'll, I'll call you a brother and the argument's over. But please do not look at every single event that happens in Tel Aviv or Jerusalem or the West Bank or Gaza and think, okay, that's it. He's coming back next month. Why start a business? Why have another baby? Why? Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, I, I had people ask me at least one guy i'm thinking of why did you have six kids like why are you, when, doesn't that when jesus going to be back right
0: when yeah. he's going to become and i'm like let's say 500 years yeah. from now he hasn't come back yet or 100 years yeah <laughs> and that's the that that's the poison of the dispensational theology is that it it it, it causes us to draw conclusions based uh, uh, that have long-term consequences down the road so the this guy that did this you know back in 1948 it's like Here we are in 2023. That's been 70-some, you know, was it almost 70 years it's been, my math Seventy-five years, 75 years. Seventy-five years. years. Okay, my math is bad. Um, But so it's been 75 years. So if somebody made a decision back in 1948 based on that event— and said, "Oh well, I shouldn't have kids. I shouldn't start a business. I'd basically just need to hunker down, cause and look up in the sky and listen right. for trumpets, cause the rapture's about to happen." It's like, like Jesus said, "You will not know the day or the hour." And we should not expect that we're going to be able to pinpoint. We can. He says, know the sign of the time, so we can be always ready. Yes. I think we should be ready at any moment. Absolutely, 100%. readiness does not mean we live as though the world is going to crash and burn tomorrow. Correct. So I think Christians of all time, I I think it was – I'm I'm thinking of something I heard somebody say once, and I don't remember the exact, but it's like, what would you do if you knew Jesus was coming tomorrow or something? Mm -hmm. I think it might have been a Martin Luther. Mm. And he's just like, you know what? I'd get up and do my morning routine and read yeah. the Bible it's like it just had yeah, Luther's my... probably like well i would drink a beer and uh, yeah. you know sing a hymn and yeah and that's so it's like the, the the dispensational theology really is a is a very pessimistic uh view because it's like god's going to rapture his church out and then this world's just going
1: to burn right so why start a christian school why start yeah. and and th- don't hear me saying every one of you who believes this y- yeah, you, you must have been living this way sure but I am, I think we are saying, be careful, even if you do genuinely think this is what the Bible teaches, be careful not to then make it or, or to let it uh, have you just check out. Yeah. Because you don't know Jesus is coming back in a year. So get married. Mm-hmm. Send your kids to a Christian school. Try home educating them. Start a seminary. I mean, like do yeah. do things for the glory of God. And then, because the reality is, even if He doesn't come back for a hundred years, I could die in ten minutes. I could get a heart attack. Sure. So I should always live as though I'm going to give an account. Yeah. Shortly, but I can't just look at what's happening in Israel, read BBC.com, and decide that's it. I'm not. We're. we're I'm quitting my job. We're going to move out to Montana. Uh, I'm gonna build a bomb shelter.
0: We're gonna get some canned goods, and I'm gonna wait for the rapture. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we we had to. Sorry, uh, yeah. I didn't mean. To no, that. that's good. That's good. It's like I'm 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 wanting to. I'm wanting to say more about what you said, but I'm just looking at the time here. We're coming up on an hour, and uh, we have some listener questions. Do, do you have one picked up? Yeah, yeah, for us yeah, or yeah. Or I do, I do, out? I do. So
1: I'm not going to use the names because I don't want to be I don't want to be held responsible for misrepresenting any of these guys. But but the the question is a completely valid question. It just it uses the names of some particular personalities, and I'll just I'll do it more broadly. The questioner asks, can you go into why? And then he names some of the folks who are a few ticks to the left of us, so a little more liberal
0: uh open so the names that you're not mentioning are like typical standard big eva yeah Pop yeah eva type exactly yeah uh, you know guys who would who
1: would be published in the biggest of the you know the, but they're more more on the the progressive end right correct can you go into why they have made supporting israel a hill to die on uh recently with this hamas conflict I was kind of surprised by the ardent support. It's weird because the left has typically been anti-Israel, but and then he names one of the guys has been super pro-Israel. Is um, and then he says his language still feels winsome. I think kind of like joking, uh, but uh, so I'll, I'll give my I'll give my two cents on why I think this might be. So guys who would still be evangelical in the sense that they believe Jesus rose from the dead, they believe you have to believe in him to go to heaven, but. Super against, you know, President Trump, whereas you and I will vote for President Trump again if he's the nominee. We just think he's a flawed man. Um, you know, but these guys would fall into more of the never Trump camp, the a little bit little bit more liberal uh, in some ways, Christianity. Hmm. Why are they super pro Israel? Okay, Here's at least one possibility, I think. Some of these guys, it seems to me, uh, Michael's turned me on to Thomas Sowell. I knew him, I knew of him, but I'd never read anything by him. But uh, Thomas Sowell has this has this really great... Uh, You're becoming a soul man. I am, I am. I really admire the man. But he has this great uh, line that there is basically the unconstrained vision of the world and humanity and the constrained vision of of the world and humanity. And the unconstrained one is the, is the more liberal view. It's the more democratic or progressive or socialist view. And it's basically that we can achieve a world uh, with, with no conflict and no poverty. And, and even if it doesn't use that language, it does basically it's think, utopian. yes, we can get the program, the right program, the right thing to fix this. Mm-hmm. Whereas the constrained view always says, what's the cost of that thing? What's the cost of that program? you? Hey, Mr. President Roosevelt, what's the cost of this thing you call the New Deal? Hey, President Johnson, what's the cost of this thing you call the Great mm-hmm. Society? Are there unintended consequences, like we're not going to have people get married because they want to keep their welfare benefits? That's the constrained vision. In the mm-hmm. So how do, I, how do I think this applies? I think it's possible some of these more liberal types almost see places like Ukraine and possibly Israel as the single mother and the American military as welfare, yeah. It's like we we can fix your problem. Yeah, we can fix you,
0: yeah. And that I think is, and, and it's an arrogant point of view, yeah. That things like we we have the solutions, and progressives typically are pretty arrogant about their own capacity to to solve everybody else's problems. Um, like I think it's a it's a paternalistic attitude of uh, I I know the answers um, and. We have unlimited resources, so I think the way that you describe that is—that sounds right to me. We have the resources, the skills, the intellect. Um, we can do it. So, yeah, we can fight a war in Afghanistan and Iraq, and now why, let, let, let's fight a war in Israel. Mm-hmm. And let's—I mean, it's like we can—we can do it all, and we—we we take the same approach to our economy. It's like, yeah, we can—we can spend this. Let's uh, right. But 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 send money here. Let's have this social program. No constraints, no fiscal discipline at mm-hmm. all, because. Yeah, we, we have unlimited reserves. Let's just forgive all the student loans. What you know, it's a
1: it's a conservative, and I would argue it's a more biblical Christian mindset to go.
0: What's the unintended consequence of the thing you just decided? Yeah, like Thomas Sowell, um, the the idea is in his book Basic Economics. I'm, I'm sure it's more of a core tenet of his worldview, but it's in the book of uh, Basic Economics where he he talks about scarcity mm-hmm. as as the as, like, a, a something that must be accounted for in pricing and all all forms of economics. Because he said, like, there are more people that want a certain thing than there is of that thing. Mm-hmm. And you more people want beachfront property than there is available beachfront property. Right. So, you know, what the Federal Reserve would try to do is, like, well, let's uh, let's just print more beachfront property. <laughs> exactly. Pro- like, exactly. Like, exactly. It, it, it can't happen, but yeah. they do it with money, the thing that you can't do in the real world. But that that same mentality is like there are no limits, and so it's un, unconstrained. Um, and the little quip that I've heard him say is, um, oh, it's escaping me now. It's like, oh, there's there are no solutions, only trade-offs. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so with so with with Israel and Hamas, um, the progressive people, they're thinking. I'm going to go and broker peace. Right. Uh, and I mean, how many presidents have promised that? I mean, even conservative presidents have promised that. But it seemed like the liberals, uniquely, it's like, I know how to bring about peace. I want to broker peace. I want to go over there. We're going to have peace talks. We're going to sit down together. And, and I'm like, no, you're you're naive. I mean, I think that's why President Obama
1: won a Nobel Peace Prize before he'd ever even actually done anything. I think people just thought this guy with his yeah.
0: with his super erudite. He can wave his magic erudite, wand. Yeah, he's just... <laughs> Yeah, but but it's like that's that's a naive point of view. The thing is like there are trade offs. So what will bring about peace, in my view, uh, which is more it is constrained and you know possibly more pessimistic, but I'd say there will be no peace until one of either Israel or Hamas, Israel or Hamas, is convincingly defeated. Yeah, to where it's like they the uh, the other has no option but to but to make make peace terms yeah. with, with just to survive. And we want it to be Israel. I want Israel yeah. to I, win. Yeah. I want Hamas to be overwhelmingly defeated. Not that I want to have massive bloodshed, no, but, but the Islamic worldview is violent. It's wicked. Yes. So of course I want them to be defeated. Um, but but it's like, that's the trade-off. Yeah. You want peace? There's a trade-off. There's going to be bloodshed. There's going to be things blown up and broken and whatnot. And that's that doesn't sound very pleasing, that that doesn't play well in a soundbite. And it's certainly, you know, on a debate stage when you're a politician, you want to be the guy that can say, I can give you peace and do so without any bloodshed right. or without any right. conflict or whatever, because we're just going to sit and talk together. That's naive and that's foolish. Or these guys, and I think
1: President Biden has used this language, they might say, we can fight a war in Ukraine and fight a war in Israel. We can we can chew uh, walk and chew gum at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I would say, well, listen, maybe that's true, but it is actually it is actually worth asking how many things can we do, especially considering that our society right now is very fractured and frayed, and especially considering that the
0: we're broke, we're broke, <laughs> but
1: also we've allowed our military to become a little bit of a laughing stock in some ways. i mean when when you see ads of transgender you know like like Army. Yeah, Army. and we're going to have pregnant fighter pilots. You know, women flying planes who are pregnant. Like, you, you do. You do need to stop for a second and say, okay, how much can we with yeah. this with this already f- thing that we've allowed to become flawed by wokeism?
0: Yeah. How many things can we do with that thing? Yeah. Well, um, that unconstrained worldview applies in those situations. Like, we can have. The affirmation that you get of a pregnant woman by having her in the military and right. top-notch military might. And I would say that's a joke. Yeah, you you cannot do that. You can either have great fighter pilots or you can have right. pregnant fighter pilots, but you can't have Exactly. Both. We need to get women out of combat.
1: That's a thing we should do tomorrow. Yes. And then after that, okay, well, let's figure out exactly how many of these good trained men can we have in combat and where, where should we deploy them? And I don't think... I think that sort of constrained, I would say adult measured way of thinking, it does not lend itself to the
0: progressive yeah. worldview. And so, yeah, I mean, conservatives have to be the grownups. Yes. And unfortunately, the grown ups aren't always popular. Yeah. And that's what, that's what we have here with an unconstrained worldview. It's a childish, naive worldview. And the constrained worldview is the one that comes along. It's kind of like kids, come on. Exactly. Uh, and that's hard to get elected. It's hard to get elected is. with that worldview because people want
1: something that may not even be they're willing to vote for something impossible yeah people are willing to vote for something impossible
0: <laughs> yeah I've, I've, thought, I've made this joke before i'm just like you know if congress really want to get serious about fighting poverty they should just pass a bill poverty is now illegal. yes it's illegal to be problem poor. solved yes Long, all just, right just clean it up it's like but no it's like it just doesn't work that way we we actually have a world that god made and we have to live in it so yeah okay <laughs> just make it up as we go all right so we gotta let's uh let's land this fighter jet yeah um, so do you have any, any, what is, do you have reasons for hope yes, I do. in this conversation? Yeah. So
1: I would say my reasons for hope are that the God uh, who chose Abraham, called him out of Ur, uh, promised him Isaac, gave him Isaac, that God is still running the world just as he was back then. And he has intentions for the for the descendants of Abraham, but he also has intentions for the church. Uh, we can trust him. We don't need to frantically, anxiously uh, try to figure out exactly the right thing to do for the nation state of Israel in this sort of um, manic kind of way. We can trust that the God who went when Abram went down into Egypt (laughs) to avoid a famine— it uh, doesn't seem to me from the text like that was the, the best call, and yet God still gave him Isaac and knew what he was doing. And we can trust Yahweh, the God of Israel, the God of the true Israel, the God of the Bible, the God of Jesus Christ. We can trust him. Um, I also think he hears our prayers, and we should pray for an end to the conflict, and and, and not even just conflict, because that makes it sound like there's equal parties. But I would also say for the wicked murderers who are still at large, to be brought to justice and or killed, um, that that's a good thing to pray for, and God will listen to our prayers. We can be hopeful because He listens; He's in control. Uh, I I would also look a note of hope if 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 you are a listener and you're confused right now, and you're like, I don't even know how to make heads or tails of this. Um, I I guess my my calm um, brotherly assurance to you is: read your Bible through the lens of Jesus Christ. Trust that God will make plain to you the things that are necessary for salvation and for your edification and your being conformed to His image. Read it slowly and in faith, and He will guide you into truth. The Holy Spirit has sealed you and dwells in
0: you. He will guide you into all truth. So be encouraged. Thank you for listening to the Current Reality Podcast. Send us any feedback to currentrealitypodcast at gmail.com. If you found this episode helpful, consider leaving us a five-star review and sharing it with a friend. And for more information about the King's Domain, Gendered Virtue, Men and Women Who Take Dominion conference in April of next year, check the link in the show notes. See you next time.